The book Gangster Redemption, Chapter 7, The Last Heist. Lawton decided to hit the road with his three assistants to see if there was a promising jewelry store to rob in the state of Pennsylvania. He wasn't going to bother looking in the city of Philadelphia proper, but he was sure there would be a promising store in its suburbs. He found the perfect target in Fairless Hills in Philadelphia's outskirts. It was in a plaza, and the angle was right. Everything was right, he said. Lawton went into the store. There was only the store owner. As always, he did his best to get to know the man, and when he was standing away from the buzzer, he jumped the counter, put a gun in his face, and put flex cuffs on his hands and feet. As usual, Lawton shouted at his victim to get down and be quiet. Lawton and one accomplice were emptying the store of all the diamonds when they saw a woman walk up to the window, cup her hands, look in, and see the robbery taking place. Lawton would later learn that the woman had her antenna up for anything unusual because of a couple of weeks before someone had gone onto the roof of her store and stole an air conditioning unit. Because of the air conditioning unit robbery, Lawton found out later she came to investigate when she heard Larry yelling at the jewelry store owner. We had to leave in a flash, he said. The owner had five guns in the safe. We had already put them in the bag along with the jewels. Lawton usually watched the tied-up victim up to the last second, but because of the woman looking in the window, he was distracted. The owner somehow got loose, and while Larry and his crew were running out of the store, he ran and found another gun he had hidden. As usual, we had left our car with a stolen license plate parked in front of the store, said Lawton. We booked outside, and just as we left the store, shots rang out. The front window of the store shattered right next to us. I was thinking, holy fuck, that guy got out of his handcuffs and found a gun. I don't know how he did it, but he did. We sprinted a few steps to the car and jumped in. Lawton was behind the steering wheel, and as he looked up through the windshield, he could see the store owner level his gun right at his head. Lawton ducked. The store owner shot. The bullet went right through the windshield, dead center, right in the middle of the driver's seat. The bullet scraped the top of Lawton's head and struck his brother, who was in the passenger seat, in his back, and then in his arm. Lawton's brother screamed, I'm hit, I'm hit. Where? Are you all right? Just get out of here. I'm heading to the hospital. Lawton would have dropped him there if it meant saving his life. No, no, get back to Brooklyn. It was a streets of San Francisco getaway. Lawton turned the wheel, spun the tires, raced through the parking light, and took off heading for Brooklyn. In his rearview mirror, he sped away. Lawton could see the jewelry store owner aiming his pistol. He had his route all planned. He knew the plate was fake, so he wasn't worried about anyone taking down the number. Lawton remained calm. He had planned for contingencies just like this. The biggest problem was that there was a bullet hole right in the middle of his windshield, and he had to pay tolls. Lawton was sure the police were informing all the toll takers about the robbery. Be on the lookout for an armed robbery with shots fired with the description of his rental car. Lawton knew what to do. He pulled up behind an 18-wheeler, obscuring the view of the windshield from the toll taker. And when he w- it was his turn to pay, he rolled a few feet past the toll booth, reached back, and gave the toll taker money. That way, the toll taker couldn't see the bullet hole in the windshield. As he was paying... He heard the radio in the toll booth announce, Be on the lookout. 
A minute later, and the toll taker might have paid more attention. We got away with it, Lawton thought. It took two hours for Lawton to drive to Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. He pulled up in front of the home stretch bar. There was dried blood on the top of his head and the side of his face. His brother had blood on his arm and back. His arm burned and pained him. Lawton and his brother ran upstairs. Friends cleaned Lawton's wound. He had nothing more than a scratch. His brother had a bullet in him. They patched his brother up and were able to get the trickle of blood to stop. Lawton's plan was to fly his brother back to Florida and have him treated there. Because Lawton's rented car was from Florida, not New York, he could replace the windshield. If the car had been from New York, there would have been a registration in the window and he wouldn't have been able to replace it. I needed to get rid of the hole before I drove home, said Lawton. So Willie the Weeper called Bensonhurst Autoglass, which is all connected. We need the car fixed. Lawton went with the car because the diamonds were in the trunk. You don't ask questions in Brooklyn, he said. They put in a new windshield, so I didn't have no worry when I brought the car back. Lawton called a buddy, a building contractor who used to be on the fringes of the Raymond Patriarca mob in Rhode Island. He said, hey, Uncle Mikey, Davy's been hit. We have to find a doctor for him. He can't go to the hospital with a bullet. Uncle Mikey, who hung out, out at the racetrack, called the doctor, a veterinarian he knew from the track. There were a lot of knock-around guys at the track. This guy was one of them. The vet said he could operate on his brother on a table in the home he was building. Lawton thanked him, but decided it would be better if his brother flew home to his mother so his mother could take care of him. I got my brother a flight, said Lawton. This was before 9-11. You could pay cash. You didn't have to show an ID. I put my brother on a plane and called my mother, who has been who has been a nurse forever. My mother knew what to do, but she didn't know what I did. I said, Mom, Davy and I were playing with guns in a bar. Davy got shot, and he has a bullet in him. You have to take care of him. We can't call the cops. You know I have a record from the Atlantic City bust. I'll go to prison. My mother used to be an emergency room nurse in Westchester Square Hospital in the Bronx. She worked in a clinic in Palm Bay. She got some penicillin and she fixed my brother up. She could see the bullet wasn't in a bad spot and felt more damage would be done trying to take it out than leaving it there. My, my brother was lucky he had my mother. Without her, he might have died or gotten his arm amputated by a veterinarian. I flew my wife up to drive home with me. I drove to Little Italy, dropped off the diamonds, and got my $70,000 for the job. On the way back from Florida, I pulled into a rest stop along I-95, took the five guns from the jewelry store robbery we just did, and back by the picnic tables, threw them in a lake. He continued his trip back to Florida without incident. After the Fairless Hills heist, the FBI flooded the area with agents and local police. They went to every jewelry store in the area. They asked, did anyone come in with the following M.O.? A nice guy coming in with a suit asking about diamonds. Lawton's usual M.O. was to case many jewelry stores in the area before robbing one. He had walked into a jewelry store about two miles away from the actual robbery. Lawton and an employee, perhaps the owner, a Jewish lady, discussed his buying a diamond worth $10,000. Lawton didn't know whether she was suspicious or just wanted to offer him a better deal after he walked out, but she followed him and took down his license plate number. While I was casing her place, I had not yet put on the stolen plate, said Lawton, so she got the license plate number of my rental car. 
gave it to the police, and they found it registered under the name of Tommy Blanco, my friend who rented the car for me. I had used his credit card. I was listed as the co-driver. Well, Fat Tony weighs 350 pounds. I don't look like Tony. The FBI saw there was an alternate driver, and sure enough, it was me. They ran my name through the database and saw I had a record for possession of cocaine and that there had been $35,000 in the glove compartment of my car. When the FBI took my picture to all the jewelry stores around the country that I had hit, and they said, do you know this guy? There was a chorus that responded, that's the guy who robbed me. Six of 20 store owners I robbed pinpointed me exactly. They had a bunch more who were 95% sure it was me, said Lawton. They had tapes of me buying coffee at a Wawa store in Savannah, Georgia. I never used a mask because I never anticipated I would be caught. An eyewitness doesn't mean much if you can't tie it to anything. I was golfing the day I was arrested. My wife had said to me, I think I'm being followed. My mind was thinking of who it might be. Is it the cops? Is it another mob family trying to rob me? I wondered. I called a friend of mine and told him to take all the guns out of my townhouse. So everything was out of the house when on a Monday afternoon at around 5, my wife Missy was taking a walk to the mailbox with our 15-year-old daughter, Ashley, when I heard her scream, They're coming! I was sitting around the table with my brother and another guy who was involved in my bookmaking operation. Since this was a Monday, they had come down from Central Florida to pick up the week's bookmaking sheets and records. Lawton went to the door and it flew open. The FBI came running in with guns in my face. He turned around and he could see more agents coming through his patio holding guns and rifles. The next day, the Palm Bay police surrounded his mother's house in Palm Bay, Florida. His sister answered the door. We have a warrant for the arrest of Lawrence Lawton. He's in jail, his sister said. When I was arrested, I had about 3000 in cash in my pocket and I was wearing expensive jewelry, said Lawton. I asked the FBI guy if I could give it to my wife. He said I could. The FBI wasn't bad. When they caught me, they said, man, we've been looking for you for a long time. The cops also arrested Tony Banco because he had rented the car. They drove Lawton to Opalaka, where they had built a new FBI headquarters. When he arrived there, he saw they also had Tony. Lawton thought, I hope he shuts up. Tony knew what Lawton did, of course, but he was never involved in a robbery. Tony said, all I know is I rented a car for him because he doesn't have a credit card, and they ended up letting Tony go. There was no evidence for him to be arrested. They then took Lawton to a federal holding facility in Miami. He was hoping to win bond because if he got out on bail, I was going to flee to Costa Rica. My dad and I were very close, said Lawton. I took him all over the country golfing. I even took him to the Bahamas, Hawaii, and everywhere. My father, who was crying at the hearing, offered to put up his house for bail. I would have paid him back as I had a lot of friends who I was protecting, and they would have given me the money. My lawyer said, Your Honor, the government says he's a flight risk. He had a case in New Jersey in 1994, and he flew back and forth from Florida, and he never jumped bail. When the judge agreed, the prosecutor jumped up and said, Your Honor, he has ties to organized crime. He's a danger to society. You can't give him bail. The judge was silent for a few seconds and then said, Okay, he's a threat to society. Lawton was remanded. No bail. Said Lawton. 
Then I was kidnapped. Not exactly, but pretty much kidnapped. At three in the morning, I was pulled from my cell, handcuffed, shackled, and put on a plane and taken to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. For three days, I was in transit. I was fed nothing but a bagged lunch, which consisted of an apple, a pint of juice, and a pack of outdated stale crackers. I had no shower, and I stunk. From Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I was flown to Rhode Island. Why? I have no idea. My destination was Philadelphia. I was already in Pennsylvania. Go figure. I guess it's just the crazy air marshal transport system. And so for two days, they drove me back towards Pennsylvania in a van. My last stop was the Elizabeth County Jail in New Jersey. How stupid is that? What a waste of money. So I was in the Elizabeth County Jail, and they picked me up the next day, and I went in front of a magistrate judge. Some guy comes over to me and says, I'm going to represent you. I look at him and said, who the fuck are you? He was a public defender. I said, Your Honor, can I speak? Go ahead, Mr. Lawton. I said, I don't know what's going on. I was kidnapped by these people. I haven't had a hot meal. I don't know where I am. I have an attorney and I smell. That drew a chuckle from the other inmates waiting to be arraigned sitting in the jury box. The judge looked back to the marshals who transferred him and asked if what he said was true. We just picked him up from jail, Your Honor, they said. The judge said, I'm going to suspend this hearing. I want you to put him where he's going to be housed. I want him to have a hot meal. I want him to get cleaned up. And I want him to have a phone call. Now. Even though there were signs all over the holding cell that say, no phone calls, they had to give Lawton one. When a federal judge orders something done, it gets done. I called my wife, said Lawton. I told her to get hold of the lawyer, my family, and Fat Tony, and let them know I was kidnapped by the feds and where I was. I was then sent to Farrington, a federal correctional institution somewhere in South Jersey, and processed into the Carrot Unit, the unit reserved for guys in pretrial, not yet sentenced. It's an actual prison. The only difference is that the guys in orange clothes are pretrial, and the ones in khaki-colored clothes are sentenced inmates. I called my wife back the next day, and she was hysterical, crying uncontrollably, saying how the lawyer said he needed more money of course, it came out in the papers that my case was big, that I was involved with organized crime, and I was facing life in prison. I calmed my wife down and got off the phone, furious. I couldn't sleep that night thinking about my wife and kids and how a lawyer could be so heartless. When I contacted my lawyer the next day, it took all of my self-control not to curse him out. That's why I hate lawyers. Too often, they're sharks who feed on people who are down and out. When they know a guy needs them, they bury you. I called Dominic, the big mob boss, who said he didn't want to get involved, but he gave me the name of a lawyer. I don't recall his name, but I sent him the paperwork, and he said to me, you know you're going to go away for a long time, because they were accusing me of using a gun in the four robberies I was charged with committing. Under federal law, you get five years for the first robbery with a gun. Every robbery after that, you get 20 years running consecutively. I was facing 85 years just for the gun. He said to me, go to the law library, look up this statute. They never found a gun. You never shot anyone. You can beat the gun charge. I had used a BB gun during the Fairless Hills robbery, and I turned it in. A BB gun is not classified as a firearm. I told the FBI where I had dumped the guns I had taken from the jewelry store. Divers went into the lake off I-95 and found them. 
And that was one of the major arguments I made to prove I wasn't a gun guy. My defense was going to be, if I was going to use a gun, I wouldn't have thrown the five guns out. Not only that, as I was getting shot at, if I had a gun, wouldn't I have shot back, even in the air? If I had a real gun and shot back, you wouldn't be reading this book. I'd still be in prison. In the end, the prosecution dropped the gun charge because they felt Lawton would have beaten it for lack of evidence. Then the feds offered Lawton a deal. The feds offered me three-year sentence if I gave up my accomplices, said Lawton. They wanted everyone and their mother. They wanted my fences. They wanted Dominic. They wanted Willie the Weeper. They wanted all my accomplices. Lawton wouldn't do it. He wasn't a rat. There's no ratting, said Lawton. You have to accept responsibility and do your time. And that's exactly what I did. My crew was always known for how loyal we were. A lot of mobsters, like Sammy Gravano, that prick, say that they're going to be loyal and then rat. Sammy said he feared for his life, but that was bullshit. He ratted because he's a fucking rat. He wanted freedom more than anything. Even though I was facing a long prison sentence, I never told, and the feds punished me for my silence. I would spend a lot of time in solitary as a result. They charged me with four robberies, and after they dropped the gun charge, I took a plea for 12 years on the condition I didn't have to rat. I had to give them a proffer, meaning I had to admit my crimes and tell them how I did them. During his proffer, Lawton told the court that his partner was John Rodriguez from Miami. The name was fictitious, and he chose it because he knew there had to be a lot of John Rodriguez's in the Miami area. Talk about being smart, said Lawton. It was a real smart move until later. Do you know what the FBI did? They pulled every ID card, every driver's license, and went to see every John Rodriguez in Miami. There must have been 500 of them. I must have cost the government a million dollars. Boy, were they pissed. Of course, there was no John Rodriguez. He was a fictitious person. He was really my brother David. Everything else I told them was true, except I didn't do it with John Rodriguez. Five years later, when my brother's wife, a fucking wacko, turned him in, they ended up throwing him in jail and convicting me on perjury. It was the same charge they leveled at Bill Clinton, filing a false statement. They gave me 12 months for that, but the sentence ran concurrently with my sentence for robbing the stores. So what did I care? My brother ended up going away for 10 years. At first, Lawton thought he was going to go away forever. But then he had that glimmer of hope from Dominic's attorney, and he beat the gun charge. When he was given 12 years under the plea bargaining agreement, he received four 12-year sentences to be served concurrently. He was the happiest person in the bullpen, the holding cell under the courthouse where inmates wait until they go back to the county jail or their assigned prison, said Lawton. These other prisoners were saying, you poor guy. You got 12 years. 90% of them were snitches, and they only got a few years. But even after getting a 12 years, I was a happy camper. Because Lawton wouldn't snitch, the feds decided to take it out on him. Their punishment was to send him straight to USP Atlanta, a maximum security prison. They say they don't do that? Bullshit, said Lawton. I went to Atlanta, which at the time was the worst prison in America. The guard said to me, you're going to Atlanta, man. Oh, I'm sorry. You're fucked. You're a white guy in that prison. There, they torture you. If you like what we're doing here, please pass the word. 
Also, if you'd like to watch me reading this book in a summarization version, you can go to YouTube and watch us there. Just type in Larry Lawton YouTube and you'll find our channel and you'll be able to watch me summarize this chapter. I'm a little better at that than I am about reading, but I hope you're enjoying it.